Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. Hello, Ashley. Hey, Fitz. So, I have a sort of funny question. I guess it kind of feels like an obvious question to me. (laughs) Um, Do you think you've learned about yourself through your time outdoors? Oh, yeah. Sure. I think I expected a harder question. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I've learned so many things. And I like to think that a lot of what I've learned, you know, out deep in the mountains about myself, like it isn't actually exclusive to the mountains. I'm thinking about this one trip, my last trip actually before the pandemic hit, but me and a small group of friends went to Argentina to try to climb Aconcagua. Uh And we spent a lot of time training and a lot of vacation time and a lot of money to get there. You know, not to mention just the footprint of a trip like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And at about 16 or 17,000 feet, one of my friends got HAPE or pulmonary edema and was heli evac off the mountain to a hospital. And he stabilized, thankfully. Um, and one of my friends went out the next day to be with him, which sort of left the rest of us running through these scenarios and trying to answer, you know, the question of do we keep going or do we go down? What did you, what did you choose? I mean, at that point on the mountain, you know, my body was already asking me to stop. And we had a pretty gnarly weather forecast ahead of us. So, like, in truth, it felt pretty obvious to me that I was going to stop going up the mountain. We all eventually decided to start moving down. What's strange that when you're that far on, like, a high-altitude approach is that even turning around isn't fast. I think it took another four days before we were off the mountain So it's hard to say, like, we immediately turned around because it felt like it took forever to do that. But um, the decision to turn around happened pretty quickly. Do you think that, you know, that moment 
did it illuminate like the true values for you or, or something that was like down there? Um, you know, like you're obviously interested in, in getting to the top of Aconcagua. Like that's an important thing, but at the same point, there's this other set because I think there's a lot of people that would have made the opposite decision and be like, well, just keep going, you know? So totally. And like knowing he was like, our friend was at the hospital, like, what can you do? And what does he want us to keep going or to go be with him? And it was difficult, but yeah, I, I definitely think that it, it just showed me, I think that I learned or maybe relearned that like, even with all that investment towards a big goal, like I care a lot about how I get there and who I'm with. And I care a lot about being able to take disappointment with a certain level of grace. And I mean, in this case, it meant that we all had our health. And it also just meant like a few days, you know, with potato chips and a swimming pool and wine in Mendoza. So, yeah, like I think that it just taught me a lot about how I want to live my life. I think that's one of like the most interesting parts about the outdoors. Like when you think about it, it's like hiking, climbing paddling all these different things and they have such a they have such a good way of shining a light on our inner geography and I think if you pursue you know one of these sports on any level they're going to teach you about yourself right that's going to happen it's funny though because for a long time I would have also said I also felt that these pursuits are a great way of learning about the world around us I don't know. I think maybe that my opinion on that has changed because I guess it's more nuanced. I feel like that as I've gotten older, I think that there's this point of diminishing returns on what our sports can teach us about the places we visit or our homes or even our community. Um, especially if you really start to excel at them. Like if you are, are really pushing it, I think that they become less good vehicles for learning about the rest of the world. Hmm, yeah. How so? Well, like, like, let's take climbing. Like, so if you're doing that at a very high level, you you would spend a lot of time on a cliff. You might travel all over the world, uh, but ultimately, you're still on the side of a cliff on the other side of the world. Um, and like, even if you push it further, like, say, say, like you you had a talent, and you wanted to pursue it, and you wanted to be like at your athletic limit, limit, like almost on a professional level, you'd be inside of a gym. And you probably wouldn't even be in the fun part of the gym. You'd be in like the hardcore training zone where you'd be dedicating hours to a fingerboard. And I think it's hard for me to imagine that a fingerboard could truly be an adequate vehicle for learning about the world. And I think that would hold true. Like, I think it's not just in climbing, but I think it's sort of true of a lot of different outdoor sports Uh, to turn them into true vehicles for learning about the places we live in and the places we visit. I think we have to get pretty creative or up and how we go about these sports, which, oddly enough, leads us to today's story. Ashley, who is Ricky Gates? Ricky is a professional runner and artist, and in a lot of ways, he exemplifies what that arc that you're talking about. Someone who excelled at a sport, competed at the highest levels, and then ultimately flipped it around to create this really unique approach to learning about others and himself. So today, we've got a story about getting to know the place you call home, one step at a time. I'm Fitz Cahal. And I'm Ashley Langholtz. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. (laughs) 
On March 1, 2017, Ricky Gates walked onto Folly Beach, South Carolina. At the edge of the Atlantic Ocean, he was at the starting line of a transcontinental run across the United States of America. Although Ricky's a professional runner, this trip wasn't about going fast. He was looking to slow down. I really wanted to know the country in a way that I was quite certain could only be accomplished on foot. Between personal trips and racing with help from his sponsor, Solomon, Ricky spent most of the last decade traveling outside of the U.S. He's visited over 30 countries in all seven continents. But Ricky was always interested in the U.S. As a teenager, he read Peter Jenkins' book, A Walk Across America, and he always thought that he would do his own version of the cross-country adventure. And by his mid-30s, the timing was finally right. No dependence or boss to approve of time off, Plus, the constant mapping of blue and red states in the 2016 election made Ricky want to see parts of the country he'd never been to. It illuminated that I really didn't know that much about America, simply based on the bubbles that we're allowed to live in, both in a virtual world and a physical world. I, for the most part, had conversations almost entirely with people that agree with me rather than that disagree with me. Ricky wanted to change that to put down the phone, turn off the TV, and see the country he called home with his own two eyes. He sketched out a plan and approached it sort of like a through hike, except there wasn't a single trail or a book that explains how to do it. He wanted to go east to west and finish in San Francisco. He wanted to start in the south in the spring to accommodate for the seasons. He wanted to follow a few of the country's iconic long trails and stop in his hometown in Aspen, Colorado. He had a rough structure of a route and a ballpark estimate of 4,000 miles, about a marathon a day for five months. After a year of planning, Ricky was as ready as he was going to be, standing there at the beach in South Carolina. He turned around and started running. You know, when you start running across the country, it's just one step in front of the other. So it's uh, sort of exciting, but also at the same time, it's like, okay, here's one step. All right, now I'm at the edge of the beach. Now I need to do this block. All right, now I'm at the edge of town and it's 10 miles, I guess, to Charleston. And what am I going to do there? It's just like, it takes hours and days and really almost weeks to really start to get into Uh, the groove of something like that. His route followed trails, highways, gravel roads, and railroad tracks. He stopped for food and water in the towns he passed. After the first week, he found a rhythm. Eat, sleep, run, repeat. He traveled light. His pack only weighed about 11 or 12 pounds. He carried extra socks, underwear, gloves, hat, light rain jacket, a razor blade for a knife, and a needle and dental floss to repair anything that tore. His sleeping bag could also be used as a puffy. His poncho, also a tarp. He slept on a lightweight sleeping pad and a piece of Tyvek. Each night he found a new place to sleep, and he got good at improvising. Dense trees behind a gas station, under a bridge, on a boat dock, in an abandoned building, or even in an entryway to an elementary school. Once Ricky jumped on the Appalachian Trail in Georgia, his sleeping arrangements came a bit easier. That was one of the only times that I really sought out an actual campground and a campfire um, because 
frankly, it was just really fun to hang out with a bunch of people and exchange stories. Ricky and the AT hikers talked about the long months they had ahead of them, either to Mount Katahdin or San Francisco. Ricky was only a few weeks into his trip, but was already pretty weathered. Off the trail, more people took notice. It became obvious he was doing something big. My beard said it, the clothes that I was wearing said it, the backpack that I had, I had little hiking poles with me. And you could, I mean, you could see it in my face, you could see it in my eyes, like people wanted to talk to me when I was running across the country and know what I was doing and, and hear my story. Ricky wanted to move slowly and allow for time to stop and talk with people he met. When he first set out, he anticipated having deep conversations about culture and politics, but he quickly learned that wasn't the way to go. It's actually like, this is a beautiful day. This is a really cool town. I've never been here before. What do you do for a living? You know, all of these other things that uh, make up so much of who we are as human beings. In the day-to-day, Ricky found there wasn't a lot to disagree on. Ricky found common ground with the cashier at the gas station, the fishermen at the river, the family sitting in the front yard, and the waitress at the all-you-can-eat buffet where someone paid for his dinner. Ricky was surprised by the amount of generosity he experienced and how it often came when he needed a morale boost. There was one day in particular in Arkansas between Gravesville and Quitman. The names themselves were telling me to just like sit down and just like throw in the towel, maybe not forever, but just relax. And and so it was like not a very good day, you know, maybe two and a half months into this uh, transcontinental journey. It had either rained on me or it was about to rain on me or both. And this guy pulls up beside me in a pickup truck and he takes one look at me with my backpack and my hiking poles and my my beard and my filthy clothes. And, and he just rolls down his window and he says, are, are you running across the country? And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. He says, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. The driver pulled off to the side of the road 200 feet ahead. The man got out of his truck and waited. When Ricky caught up, the man reached into his pocket, pulled out his wallet, and took out a wad of cash. And he hands it over to me and he says, I want you to keep this. I turned it down. I I said that I had saved up my money, that I was living really frugally. I, I really didn't want anyone to be giving me money on this trip. He pursued it again. He said, I just want you to take this money. And I said again, uh, like, I really don't need this money. I I appreciate that. That's a lot of money. It's $160. It's all of the money out of your wallet. And a third time, he held out the money and pushed it towards me with, like, tears in his eyes. He says, I want you to take this money. I don't care how you spend it. In the spirit that it's given, I need you to take this money. And that's when I just kind of realized that when you do a big trip, you're doing it way more than just yourself. You're doing it for a much broader community. And so I did. I took his money. And from there on out, I had a wad of $20 bills that I was handing out to other people along the way, telling them it was from Jim Steele in Arkansas. (laughs) Ricky bought someone dinner, He bought beers for people he sat and talked with. He gave money to someone asking for change. And he donated $20 to a kid's soccer fundraiser in Kansas. Those small moments of real connection were exactly what Ricky was hoping for. I found that this run across the country was 
a perfect way to, at least for a little while, to pop those bubbles and to get to know people how I would prefer to get to know people, which is face-to-face and talk about whatever they want to talk about. Ricky carried a journal and a camera and took portraits of people he met along the way. He also documented the changing landscapes and the small things he found consistently across the country. Water towers, manhole covers, empty travel-sized vodka bottles, even roadkill. You know, when you're in a car at 60 or 70 or 80 miles an hour, there's so much that you don't see. Or if you see it, you're like, oh, geez. You sort of avert your eyes from it. As Ricky reached the mountains and deserts of the western U.S., he found more hills, more heat, and more solitude. Ricky's route took him through 11 states, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, back to Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and California, and 11 pairs of shoes. In late July, Ricky arrived on the outskirts of San Francisco, where he and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, lived at the time. Ricky was right on schedule and coordinated to have some friends join for the last 20 miles. At this point, Ricky was five months and almost 3,700 miles into his journey. And his friends, they were pretty fresh. At one point, this entire group of 30 people had left me in the dust and I was back there running all by myself because I was going so slow compared to what everybody else was used to. My body was so destroyed that it was like, sorry, this is my top speed right now. On August 1st, 2017, Ricky and his friends arrived at Ocean Beach in San Francisco. The Pacific Ocean, the finish line. It took Ricky 152 days to run across the United States. He ran 3,700 miles, on trails, on pavement, through thunderstorms and snow. He even paddled a section of river. The sun was setting as Ricky walked out into the water. For the days that follow, Ricky recalibrated. For five months, his goal was to get to San Francisco. Without that singular focus, he threaded between feelings of relief that he didn't have to run and feelings of sadness that he didn't get to run. There's an immense amount of joy that comes along with having such a simple purpose every single day and being able to chip away at it every single day. Ricky also readjusted to living in a city and in a house. His girlfriend had a place in the Berkeley Hills where he had a great view of the city and a lot of time to think. just sitting on this porch as I got very good at doing after my run across the country. I got very good at sitting still, but just kind of sitting there and watching this human hive down below me, three million, four million people, shipping containers, boats coming and going from all over the world, trains leaving from the Bay Area, going to every part of California and all over the West seeing the BART train take several hundred thousand people from one little city to another little city. Like I just kind of looked at all of this and realized that my run across the country was, was incomplete.
After the break, Ricky sets a plan in motion to complete his quest to see America. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack and all the dope places you go. I don't think I would have come up with the idea or had the desire to run all of the streets in San Francisco if it weren't for having just run across the country. Ricky wanted to get to know the urban America, just like he got to know the rural America, one step at a time. He wanted to zoom in and see each neighborhood and meet some of the people who call that neighborhood home. And he wanted to do it on foot. Ricky started by Googling how many miles of streets there are in San Francisco. He found a concrete number, 1,147 miles. He didn't have to wonder what that distance felt like. He already knew. That's approximately from Denver to San Francisco. I can wrap my head around that. Knowing the mileage made it feel real, doable. Ricky kept researching. He found a local news reporter that took multiple years to walk each street in the city. He found people who were walking every street in the five New York City boroughs. And in short order, the idea of running every street in San Francisco took hold. There was one night where it was like 10 o'clock at night, like I was laying in bed And I'm just thinking about this project, thinking about it, thinking about it. And I'm like, I'm not going to sleep tonight until I get some stuff down on paper. And so I got up and and I went to a local bar and just started drawing on cocktail napkins, shapes of San Francisco. And I did like 20 of them that night. And it was like, okay, there, I got it out. I went home and I could go to sleep. But it was just like, uh, looking back on it, just allowing myself to be obsessed with this project and building that excitement because to take on running 1200 miles in a seven by seven square, like it's not just something that you decide to do and and just go out and do it willy nilly. It's like you have to have a somewhat maniacal obsession with it. Ricky gave himself 45 days to run over 1,100 miles, which works out to about a marathon a day. On November 1, 2018, he started at the Golden Gate Bridge. He followed the last few miles of his cross-country route. On his first day, he ran 27 miles, 15 in the morning, 12 in the afternoon. Ricky bought a small Ford Transit van from a couple of European friends who were traveling in the States. This way, he could sleep in the neighborhood he was running in that day. At night, Ricky's head touched the front seat and his feet touched the back door, but it meant not adding one or two hours of driving across the city every day. Every night, when Ricky was finished running, he returned to his van and started planning the next day. So I'd find the Yahoo Maps, uh, screenshot the neighborhood that I wanted, and then I would go find a Kinko's or a FedEx Express or something like that. 
print out that neighborhood and then I'd find some food and then I'd go to sleep. And then the next day I would figure out where I wanted to park on that map and park the car there. And sometimes it would be one run, sometimes two runs, sometimes three runs in order to complete that day. Ricky tracked his runs with his watch and his phone. When he stopped for lunch each day, he uploaded his progress to Strava. Then he looked at his printed map and decided where to go for the afternoon. He marked off streets as he went and made notes if a street was closed or easier to connect with another run. Ricky spent a lot of time standing on street corners with his nose in a map. The entire project became one big puzzle. There are Eulerian circuits where you are hitting every single line as opposed to every single node. A node is a point and a line is a line. And figuring out how to hit every single line with the most amount of efficiency. The math problem Ricky is talking about is the Chinese postman problem, named after the Chinese mathematician Quan Meiku, who studied it in the early 1960s. With help from a friend who's a mathematician and teaches at the University of Maryland, Ricky tried to map out routes that would be as efficient as possible. They accounted for dead ends, inaccurate maps, private streets, and closed streets, but it was impossible to see all of those obstacles in advance. Initially, efficiency doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, but after you've run 29 miles and you realize that you missed one block and it's 10 blocks away and that you have to run 10 blocks there and 10 blocks back just to get that one block that you missed earlier in the day, you start to think about that math problem a little bit more because it's, uh, it becomes very tiring <laughs> to correct your mistakes. <laughs> Ricky planned for about 15 to 20 percent more miles than the number he got from Google. Luckily, some neighborhoods were less of a puzzle and more of a grid. It's just street after street, up and down and up and down. You go up two miles, you turn around, you go down two miles, you go up two miles, you turn around and go down two miles. And I realized like how pleasant it was logistically to do those streets. Ricky worked his way through the city, often forcing himself to mix up the simple terrain with the more complicated. Each neighborhood illuminated different aspects of the city. He ran by historical landmarks and started to see how the streets themselves told a story of how the city grew over time. Like his run across the country, he found consistent themes to photograph. It became a scavenger hunt of sorts, and a way to stay open to all aspects of city life, even the less glamorous side. Anyone that's lived in a city long enough knows that they're gonna find needles, they're gonna find vomit, you're going to see used condoms, you're going to see graffiti, you're going to see homeless people. And so just making myself look at and appreciate these things that we're accustomed to averting our eyes from. Ricky didn't listen to music or podcasts. He gave the city his full attention. Avoiding traffic was the highest importance, but it also kept Ricky really present. Even though Ricky's days were full, he spent a lot of time talking with people. People sitting on their doorsteps, people walking their dogs, people crossing the street, people at cafes when he got lunch. He spent time in parts of the city and met people he probably would have never met if not for this Formula 8 project. I think being on foot just kind of allows you to walk on a level purely of empathy. It allows you to walk past a person's front door. I think that's really important. It really just comes down to empathy and a level of understanding our fellow humans that I don't think can be accomplished from a car, from media, 
from movies and I think it's even difficult to really experience it from a bike. Just being on foot is the most pure form of getting out and getting to know people. Ricky finished the last street on his target date, December 17th, 45 days after he started. He averaged 29 miles and seven hours of running every day. His final mileage was 1,317 miles. And the elevation, that's a whole other story. I think in the six weeks that it took to do that, the 1,300 miles, I climbed, by my calculation, 150,000 vertical feet which is almost the equivalent of going up and down Mount Everest uh, five times from sea level. There was specific days when I had 10,000 foot elevation days, and all of that was going up and down a, a little 300 foot tall hill. If I was to run flat for 1,300 miles, that's how I get injured. Throw some hills in there, and it's just much more dynamic for the body and for the mind, and keeps you sane, and it keeps your body using different muscles and doesn't prevent overuse injuries, but it certainly uh, helps in that direction. Ricky finished at the top of Twin Peaks in central San Francisco. After six weeks of running the same seven-mile-by-seven-mile area, he had a deeper understanding of the place he calls home. I thought I knew San Francisco really well before that project, and it occurred to me that I knew, like, 15%, 20% at the most of the city. There was so much of the city that I'd never seen before. Just running or walking my neighborhood, my city is a simple parameter that I came up with for myself to understand my immediate surroundings at a perfect pace. Ricky shared photos of the city and portraits of people he met on social media with the hashtag every single street. Ricky's desire to set out on foot and get to know the place he lived had a ripple effect in the running community. People from all over the world started joining in, finding adventure right out their front door. Hi, my name is Jennifer Hind, and I'm running every single street in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I'm Nikki O'Mahony, and along with my husband Dermid and our dog Rua, we are walking every single street in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. After such an isolating and challenging year, deciding to walk every single street of Calgary has not only given us something to achieve, but also help us feel connected to our community again. I'm Sam Hodson. And I'm Soren Dabin. And we ran every single street in Bemidji, Minnesota. By taking on this project, we were able to gain a new perspective on our hometown. It was really interesting to see the diversity between all the different neighborhoods and communities and we really learned a lot about what's been in our backyard our entire lives. My name is Sean Beck and I'm running every street in DeKalb County, Illinois. I'm Nicolene Skuman and I run every single street in our suburb in Pretoria, South Africa. It showed me the importance of stopping to appreciate and recognize the goodness and the beauty all around us. I am Jérôme Corion and I am running every single street in Grenoble, France. I am Michael Mankus. I'm running every single street in Hamburg City, Germany. 
I found out during my journey that Hamburg has much more green than I expected. My name is Annie Hughes and I ran every single street in Leadville, Colorado. And so it was really fun to enjoy all of the houses and wave to all the people in the community and just have this really fun experience and perspective of my town, which feels so small, but the route ended up being 51 miles worth of streets. And so that was kind of a surprise to me. My name is Rick Richard, and I'm running every single street in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, I'm finding that communities are built very similar. And as I speak to the people in the community, their wants and their needs um, are very similar. My name is Jess Russell, and I'm running every single street in my city, Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. I knew I was really fortunate to be able to put my shoes on every day and leave the house and do something that I love. So when I started the project to run every street in my city, I decided to use it as a platform to raise awareness and support for mental health. What it's taught me is that I have an active role in my community, even when my community is locked down. It's fun to think about how a long run across the country led to a long run in one city that led to so many people running through their own communities. Ricky and his wife Liz moved from San Francisco to New Mexico in 2019. And for Ricky, a new city means new streets. I just want to understand the place where I live. There's a level of ownership to it. I'm doing the same project here in Santa Fe and just meeting new people here in town and asking them where they live. And they're like, oh, it's, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't know it. It's out by the airport. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I've run past your house. And they're like, what? There are now over 10,000 photos with the hashtag every single street on Instagram. Ricky tries to keep up with people and their projects, offering advice or a virtual high five when he can. He doesn't take credit for the idea or for anyone putting one foot in front of the other. But he's pretty psyched to see so many people getting out and getting to know their towns and cities in a new way. The number one thing that I would hope that people would take away from this is that people understand their, the places where they live a little bit better. I can't think of a time in human history where this is more important when we are so influenced by social media, by media in general, by politicians. It's just so important to get out there past your front door and experience people, neighbors, strangers in a way that you simply cannot in any other way. It needs to be done in person. Ricky considers himself fortunate to have found running at an early age when he joined his high school cross-country team. That longevity has allowed him to pursue the sport through different seasons and interests in his life. I think that what's most important is consistency to one thing over a long period of time, because running itself has changed so many times over the past 25 years from a way to meet people, to a way to travel and get to know the world, a way to stay in shape, and then on to what it has become more recently for me, which is a way to make sense of the world and a way to make sense of myself.
Thank you, Ricky, for sharing your story. And thank you to those who shared your personal Every Single Street projects. You can find maps, photos, and even a list of people who are doing similar Every Single Street projects at rickygates.com. Ricky is currently working on his latest project, documenting the 50 classic trails of North America. Should be good. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Bradley Carter, Cloud9, Ken Christensen, Cordelia Zars, John Barry, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists. Jacob Bain and Nice Cotto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Ashley Langholtz, Becca Call, and Cordelia Zars. Illustration by Walker Call, graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Keep running. Keep running.